0: I am in a predicament this morning. My predicament is I have dark eyes. And um, I know if I do this, I'm going to do this. And I know if I do this, uh, then will come the criticism about preaching in sunglasses. Uh, you realize, I hope that preachers are subject to criticism no matter what they do. I think that is a tool of the enemy. I think he works in that to discourage. Uh, it's not my intention to offend by preaching in sunglasses. Uh, it is my, my intention to be able to read my message. So I hope that you'll have some grace this morning. I do appreciate the many encouragements that I received. I, I think... Uh, Last week, I got the most compliments I've ever received off any single message. Um, I'm sure that had nothing to do with the fact that it was 19 minutes long. If you weren't here in person, you know it was starting to rain and to spit, and uh, I realized we had other things outside of the sermon, so I did uh, trim it quite a bit. People seem to be pleased with that. I understand the... uh, Shepherds are having a meeting to install misters inside, Uh, so don't know what that's about. It's good to hear you laugh this morning. I read this story, uh, this little snippet, a second grade teacher observed her little charges on the playground, and she said to another teacher who was standing by, God must love giggles. Giggles. And that's so true, I think. Um, Most of the time between classes and a little bit during class, I'm going around not just here archiving the event, but there's the kids' classes, there's the teen classes, the loft classes, the many volunteers that are doing such a great job making those things happen. And it occurred to me that there is something coming back that we've been missing. And it's the laughter of children as they gather together to play it on the playground, as they meet together for class. Those are good things. God loves giggles. It reminds me that I believe God is joyful and wants us to be joyful as well. So we're going to talk about this morning, our joy. Um, If I had a series, by the way, weather permitting, we plan to... To be meeting outside uh, for the next couple of Sundays so October eighteenth is what we have clearance for at this point. Uh, we know weather will not permit us to do that forever. I was trying to think about today and next Sunday and the following Sunday if the Lord permits and we can meet outside on a beautiful day like today what we would talk about and I thought I called this message series no matter what there are certain things that we should be. And that we should do no matter what. And First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen gives us three simple things, and we're going to talk about those three simple things over the next several, uh, the next few Sundays. Today we're talking about rejoicing always. Rejoicing always sounds like something that is a bit of a, almost of an impossible expectation. How on earth are we to rejoice always? Well, uh, my, my first premise, and of course you know a preacher is going to say this, and that is uh, we've got to start with Jesus. Joy begins in Christ alone. I'm convinced of that. Uh, you can be happy in this world without Jesus, but I'm convinced that you will be hard-pressed to have true, lasting joy without Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, before he came in, the angels in Luke chapter 2 made this announcement to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It began as Jesus came into the world, the angels recognized that the message of Jesus was good news, one of great joy, and his people should be people who overflow with good news and great joy, because we carry that message. If you're in Christ today whether you're a very new Christian or you've been a Christian for many decades. my question to you is, does joy overflow in your life? Do people love to be around you? Does joy come out of your words and your actions and your ways and how you treat other people? It should. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 verses verse two says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That's, that's a very perplexing verse to me, that Jesus considered what was set before him as joy. I'm not sure I would consider the cross a joyful place. I don't think it was a a happy place, but Jesus knew that what was happening in that moment was much bigger than the moment. And he considered that great joy. As he left this world, Jesus instructed his disciples in John chapter 15. If you're following along, John chapter 15, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I consider that Jesus was a very joyful person. We know that He attracted crowds of thousands of people, that people clamored to see Him, and certainly because of His teachings, He taught as no one taught. Uh, Certainly because of the miracles, He did things they had never seen done. But you don't attract a mass of people by being a jerk. By being hateful and contemptuous. You just don't. I think Jesus loved people and certainly evidenced by the fact that little children wanted to be around Jesus. And Jesus liked being around little children. I think he shared in their joy and he saw that joy and wanted us to have it as well. That my joy may be in you... That your joy may be full. You and I can have times of joy. Perhaps you get a raise at work. Perhaps you get some good news with your health. Perhaps your family experience is a blessing. And the natural response is joy. But Jesus says he wants our joy to be full. And that's interesting to me. That he wants us to have a deep joy. And that's the second point. The first is that joy that begins with Jesus. The second is that our joy is rooted deeper than our circumstances. This is where um, I think there's, there is a little bit of a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness, you know, the word even uh, is closely rooted to the word happenstance, circumstance, the idea that that. From day to day, we might experience happiness and joy, and it, it ebbs and flows, and there is um, times when we're happy and times when we're not. But joy is rooted deeper than our circumstances of the day, deeper than the news cycle that we're reading, deeper than the events which transpire in our lives. Joy is more than a mood. It's a choice. Joy is deeper and far less fickle than happiness. Your happiness can come and go with a hormone fluctuation, with the amount of food in your stomach, with the circumstances of your body or the circumstances of your life, but joy is much deeper than that. If you think joy is just a mood, it's just the mood that you're in, that's fairly superficial Joy is more than an, an, an emotional gush or charming personality. You know people who can turn on the charm at a moment's notice, when they're around people that they want to impress, when they when they're at the right table, when they're when they're with the right group at the at the school lunch table, then they're happy and joyful. When they get around people that can't do anything for them, their mood changes. They are changing with the tides, Joy is more than that. Think about this. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, uh, by the way, Philippians is the book of joy, and, and in this letter, Paul writes these words. He says, He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Philippians is a book on joy. We call it a book. It was really a letter. Where was that letter written from? A prison cell. This reminds us that our joy is not about our outward circumstances, but about a choice to root ourselves deep within the joy of Jesus Christ. Psalm 31, I'm sorry, Psalm 33 verse 21 says says this, our heart is glad in Him because we trust His holy name. Yeah, joy is that decision to root yourself in something deeper than you and your feelings and your thoughts, but something much deeper even than your own soul. Joy keeps us grounded, not just in when things are bad, when the world's falling apart, and, and times seem hard. Joy can seem like a hard decision. But we can also go the other direction. Joy keeps us grounded even when times are good, when the stocks are soaring, when the business gets sold for a high price. Uh, Psalm chapter 4, verse 7, the psalmist writes, you, speaking to the Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. I like that. I like the idea that the psalmist is thinking here that even when times are good, I've got a deeper joy. I've got a deeper joy in the Lord. Joy gives us mountaintop hope through the valleys of life. Acts chapter 16 is the story... uh, The book of Acts, of course, the story of the early church and how they went about spreading the message of the good news of Jesus the Christ. It's a story of a small ragtag group of uh, ordinary men spreading this uh, amazing story of hope and goodness into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Now, there is this particular uh account in Acts chapter sixteen of the story of Paul and Silas, and they are going through what we might call a valley i don 't know if you've been through a valley in twenty twenty yet or not did you go through the valley when uh the, when they shut your work down did you did you go through the valley when they they told your your you that your children were going? to be schooling at home? Did you go through a valley when you, when you got coronavirus? Were you, did you go through a valley when someone you knew did? If you've been through a valley, and probably you have, and Acts, uh, Acts chapter 16 is a story that you ought to remember, bookmark, underline, and highlight. The crowd joined in attacking them. Uh, Paul and Silas had decided to follow Jesus and share Jesus, and the crowd attacked them. Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean we're free from attack. Of course, they were attacked in a very severe way. The magistrates, verse 22 says, tore the garments off them, gave orders to beat them with rods, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. Now, I don't know how, how bad your week was, My guess is it's not a Paul and Silas level. Maybe. But it's fair to say they were in a pretty low place in life, or, or they could have been. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison for the worst offenders and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, I want you to get this picture Two men, probably beaten within an inch of their life, inflicted upon with many blows and in physical pain, bruised and bloodied, and no doubt physically exhausted and in pain, put into a prison—not just in any uh, you know cell, but in the inner cell where their feet are fastened in stocks, and they are limited even in their movements within that cell. How might you respond? The scripture tells us about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I like that picture. It kind of amuses me actually. I I can't imagine going through a day like Paul and Silas went through. And from a, a tiny prison in the middle of the night. To hear two men beaten and bloodied. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And Silas is like, where? Down in my heart, down in my heart. Now that probably wasn't the hymn that they sang, but you get the idea. You ever been at that point when you're in a prison cell kind of moment? How did you respond? Paul and Silas chose to respond with joy. I like that. I think there's a lesson in there for us. They remind us that joy is deeper than our circumstances. Third, joy actually grows through trials and adversity. We see the unstoppable attitude of Paul and Silas. This uh, was not a new thing. If you turn back 11 chapters to Acts chapter 5, this seems to be the standard for the early church and how they responded through hard, difficult, and trying situations. When you're, when you're speaking and you, you have a, a group of people that are speaking, the first person to speak always has an interesting job because the way that they speak and the way that they approach it sets the standard. And, and unconsciously, the rest of those to follow will follow his or her example. I, I think this is called bearing the standard. This bearing the standard happens all the way throughout the book of Acts as we look at the early church and their joy in the midst of trials and adversity. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and following. When they had called in the apostles, these are the original Eleven. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now, think for just a second. You're these men. You're charged with spreading the gospel. You've you faced your first set of adversity, and that you're beaten and charged. You're ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. How would you respond? With cowardice? With timidity? Let's look at their example. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And their attitude is rejoicing. And look what happens next. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. I love that. We see this happening some to some degree in our world with certain government authorities forbidding the worshipping of God. And while Christians should be subject to those in authority, to, their, uh, to the best of their ability, they should never obey an authority that directly violates or goes against the will of God. And so they continued in peaceful protest every day in the temple from house to house, and they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. May His church not just be found brave in these pages, but may His church be found brave today. We are called to be joyful and to be a joyful people. And our joy will actually grow in spite and even through trials and adversity. Of course, James is probably the one who speaks the most on this in a practical way. Uh, uh, James is often called the Blue Jeans Gospel, because it's very practical, and the wisdom is life-changing. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, if you're following along, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the, stead, uh, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's easy to be faithful when things are easy and when times are good. That's, that's not hard to be faithful then. When faithfulness is challenged is when times are hard, when circumstances are not ideal. In that moment, you have a choice to let your joy remain steadfast even in spite of all that you face. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.13, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Isn't that amazing that you and I might be called to suffer And the the response Peter tells us to have in the midst of our suffering is joy. And to remember that Christ suffers. And that when we suffer, we don't suffer like him, but we rejoice in the sufferings, understanding that we are aligned with him in the body of Christ. Paul wrote this, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering is not an option. Some people who are superficial in their faith would like to have faith when it is easy. That's not when faith matters. And joy is the same way. It's easy to have joy when times are good. That's not when joy counts. What, ha- what counts is when joy is able to blossom even in times of suffering. When the doctor says you have cancer. When the boss says you no longer have a job. You get to choose in that moment how deep your joy will go. I remember quite well my great aunt, who I've spoken of fondly many times through the years, a true mentor in my faith. She was nearing the end of her life. She knew that probably more than I did. And I still remember going to the hospital room, and Aunt Donna was there, Bible open, on the little tray that they served the food on. I'm sure the food for the body was not that wonderful from the hospital, but she was feasting on food for the soul. I don't know what she was reading that day, but she had a smile on her face. and i recall that it perplexed me it seemed to be a, a juxtaposition of two things that don't go together joy in a hospital room joy toward the end of your life as the body the shell begins to wear out and now the older i get and the closer to heaven i get i i understand because she was she was closer to her joy than she had ever been. And you and I in Christ are closer to our joy than we have ever been. So our joy should grow deeper, our smiles should be bigger, our, our words should be more joyful and more hopeful the older that we get, not because the physical body isn't wearing out, but because our soul is getting closer to its creator than, than it has ever been. So we rejoice in our sufferings. Because sufferings produce something. They are a response to God's love being poured into our hearts. Each day. And each day we get to choose. The last point is that that joy should permeate everything. Where the Spirit abides, joy Abounds. Where the Spirit abides, joy abounds. The fruit of the Spirit. His love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. My Aunt Donna was not perfect, nor was my grandmother, but the spirit who resided within them was. And the longer he resided, the longer he abided, the more their joy could abound. And I saw the joy abounding. What I didn't know is it was from the spirit who was abiding within them. And so what happens within is far greater, and it's not really what happens within, it's who happens within, is far greater than all the circumstances which happen outside. His joy affects all areas of life. The older you get as a Christian, and I'm not talking about your physical age, I'm talking about as you mature in Christ, you should become more joyful, less jerky. More hopeful, more peaceful, more encouraging. And if you're not, that's a question of who's abiding in you. The joy, the fruit of the Spirit is not just this picture of, of fruits on a tree. It's fruit in the sense of it's a it's a it's the result of. We have trees all around. Some of you see these on you're watching online. We know. As they go through the seasons, that those those leaves will fall off, but the season, because of what's in them, those season there will be a season of dormancy, but then in the spring will come new life and new growth. These trees are larger than they were when they were first planted, not because of the external circumstances of the seasons, but because of what is inside of them. With the spirit inside of us, we grow and we abound. And it affects every area of life. Your health, a joyful spirit, a joyful heart is good medicine, Proverbs 17.22 says, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. People who are negative and critical and disdainful have more physical health problems. You ever see a person who's physically looks much older than they really should appear to be? And you think, my, they must have been through some things. And you see some people who are just, you know, they're 95 years old and they look like they're in their 60s. That has to do, there's a physical, spiritual connection there. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. Joy affects your relationships. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Here's the truth. Negative and critical and disdainful people have fewer friends. Because when you're joyful, that attracts people. When you're critical, people can't stand that much long. And it affects your worship. Rejoice in the Lord always, O you righteous. Give thanks to His holy name. Negative and critical and disdainful people have less of a desire to worship. I don't mean they don't sit and sing and go through the motions. I mean they have less of a desire to be worshiping. They are in worship, but worship doesn't reside in them. And why, why does joy or lack thereof affect all areas of life, because of who it comes from? J. Hudson Taylor says this: there is a sweet joy in knowing that God knows all, and notwithstanding he loves us still. May his joy permeate all areas of our life. may his joy grow. Through trials and adversity, may his joy keep you grounded even when times are good. May his joy be, do, be rooted deeper than your circumstances of the day or of the week. And now I ask you, do you have that joy? And you say, well, I'm sitting here, I really don't. Well, it begins, as we said at the beginning, with Jesus the Christ Christ. Peter says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's good to be here this morning. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to remind you that joy begins with Jesus. And if you want to know true, lasting, eternal joy, joy that far surpasses the circumstances of the day, joy that grows through the adversity and trials of life, and joy that gives us hope not just for here today, but for the eternal day. I want to invite you to follow Jesus, not to invite Him into your heart, not to To pray the sinner's prayer, you simply won't find those invitations here. But if you're ready to follow Jesus, he simply said you need to believe in him and be baptized. And if you're ready to do that, in just a moment we're going to sing a song. And uh, I will be here up at the front. Uh, We have some shepherds. Uh, I don't know which shepherds are assigned this morning. Uh, Whichever shepherds are assigned, will you stand for just a minute so that people know who you are? All right. these men will be seated here, and, uh, and there will be a couple there at the back. If you'd like to put on Christ, you go see one of these men, and they'll help you to make that happen. Come see me, we'll help you to make that happen. We want you to have a deeper joy than today. Thank you guys. May your joy be rooted in something deeper. My question is, is it? Well, the answer to that lies within your hands. If you're ready to put on Christ if you're ready to grow in Christ, if you're missing out on the joy that you know you should have and you need our shepherds to pray with you, won't you come as uh, together we stand and sing.